Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. It seems like everybody kind of transitioned out of the auditorium fairly quickly. And uh, so next door is started. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, you guys doing good this afternoon? Yeah. You enjoying ARC? Yeah. Okay. Somebody give me one great thing, one great uh, takeaway. What's your favorite thing so far? One person from ARC. John Gray. Okay, John Gray is incredible. Yeah. And Pastor Chris and that touch. Pastor Chris and touch. Okay, great. How many, uh, just out of curiosity, how many first-timers we got at ARC? This is your, holy smokes, almost the whole room. Uh, who is the furthest away? I'm just curious. Got anybody from, um, let's say, west of Texas? Anybody further west than Texas? Anybody further west than Louisiana? Any, okay, where are you guys from? So, okay, further. How you phrase the question is important, okay? Anybody from Texas? Okay, San Antonio, awesome. Pennsylvania, holy smokes. All right. Pennsylvania, too. What, Michigan? Hey, did you guys fly or drive? I drove. We drove. You drove all the way from Michigan? No, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, I hope it's been a great experience for you. My name's Rex. I'm one of the uh, associate pastors at our Montgomery campus, and it is my privilege to introduce Dr. Kent Engel to you today, who will be doing the app, Framework Leadership. And if you read his bio, it is extensive and it's impressive. Uh, he was a sports anchor at uh, age 18. I don't know what you guys were doing at age 18, uh, but I wasn't even thinking about doing anything professional. So... Uh, he had a career as a sports anchor for uh, 10 years with CBS, NBC, and then he was ordained as a minister in the Assemblies of God, and he's now the president of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, they have seen extensive growth in the last three years, and uh, he's written a recent book, he's got three books out, but one of them I noticed is in the art bookstore, and I told him I'm going to go purchase it um, because it's framework leadership. And I love one of the, I just opened it up a while ago, read one of the statements, and uh, I've heard it quite frequently lately, but it's a great statement. Um, what got you to where you are is not going to get you to where you want to go. And I think, is, is that true? I know that's true in my life. And uh, so I think he's going to help all of us in the next hour. So if you would, let's welcome Dr. Keep your seats, eat your lunch, and welcome Dr. Ken Engel. Thank you, man. Hey, good afternoon. Wow, what a privilege to uh, be able to spend some time with you today. Hasn't this been a great conference? Powerful. God, John was just incredible just a few minutes ago. I, I, I don't know about you, but I can sense God is speaking to all of us about our calling and what he wants to do with our lives, and especially the context that he wants to take us. And framework leadership has a lot to do with calling and has a lot to do with context. And we're going to have a chance today to talk about this systems thinking approach. Uh, I, I want to share a little bit about the framing process. Then we're going to look at how we've used it at Southeastern because, again, as Rex mentioned, we've seen some incredible growth at that, in, at that university. And so I want to walk you how that is kind of give you a practical uh, way how we've done uh, framework leadership there. And then I want to open it up to Q&A because I want, to, I want to make sure we have enough time. I want to hear from you. And if there's ways that we can encourage you and, and uh, be a part of what God's doing in your context, we want to do that. Again, framework leadership is really a system systems thinking approach to um, contextual relevance. That's what it's all about, contextual relevance. And, you know, there's nothing godly or <laughs> inherently spiritual about irrelevance. God has called each and every one of us in our own, to our own sphere of influence to uh, intimately engage in the culture, in the context that he places us in. And, and I, you know, Jesus kind of started giving us a framing process of what that's all about on the Sermon on the Mount. When you go to uh, his message there, you go to Matthew chapter 5 and specifically verse 13, 
He talks about the beginning of how to frame your calling and your context when he says we are to be what? Salt and light. And when you when you begin to listen to his teaching, what is he 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 describes it this way. He says we must be among people. We have to take our place in society. We have to take our place in culture and we have to offer the very best that is within us. In, in fact, in the way that he's wired us, designed us, our calling, our identity, as well as our context. And, and what he's saying is God's up to something pretty amazing. And we can sense that just being together in this conference, that God is up to something pretty incredible. But what's even greater is what he's up to involves you. And it involves me in what he wants to do and accomplish. And what he wants to accomplish will always reside in the stewardship of our calling and in the stewardship of the place he calls us to. That is why we have to have a foundational understanding and awareness of the significance of our life. The way he made us, created us, designed us. In fact, we use a phrase around Southeastern University, divine design. Because God has uniquely created you, made you, because he wants to use you. You are a solution to something in this world, to a, to a circumstance, to a people group, to something he wants to change in kingdom life to his glory and to his honor. And so we have to understand that it's all wrapped up. And we have to know our purpose and our meaning and everything about it so that we can be a systems thinker in fulfilling what he's designed us to fulfill. I always um, uh, love uh, uh, Frederick Buechner's quote, and, and I apply it to my life all the time, uh, because it speaks to stewardship of calling. It speaks to stewardship of context. He says this, uh, a great writer, he says, the place that God has called you is the place where your deep gladness, because it's going to the very core of the way God wired you, and the world's deep hunger, which means there is a need, there is something out there that God wants to touch in people's lives where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger come together. And, and what he's talking about there is when we are most intently utilizing our passion to make a difference, to have an impact, that is when we are going to feel deeply and most securely content. In other words, we're going to know, wow, God, this is what you designed me to do. This is what you designed me to accomplish in calling, in context, in relevance. And I'll tell you what, when you are doing what God's called you to do, you are at your best. And stewardship is always bringing your best self to the context. And framework leadership is simply developing systems of stewardship. That's what it's all about. Becoming a systems thinker to understand a system that will sensitize you to the place that God has called you, a place where you're trying to have meaningful impact the way God wants you to have impact. And the framing process is absolutely necessary. And in that necessary process, you have to have personal change and you have to have organizational change. That's part of the process that you know you are being a good steward of the call that God has placed upon your life. Here's a question that um, confronts every leader. And it's an important question that we have to answer in our calling and in our context. It's how do I create a map to a place that I've never been? How do I create a, a map that will get me to where I need to go? The place that God has called me, the place that he wants to use me to bring change for kingdom life. And you have to understand that the mapping, the mapping process 
is to know this, that anything significant that, that is great, that is accomplished, that creates greatness, change is both the doorway and the path. It's the doorway and the path. And you have to understand how you get to the pathway that will bring about change, that will bring about growth, that will bring about health. Again, and, and Rex mentioned it, uh, you, you know, what got you here today is never, ever going to get you where God wants you to go tomorrow. So you have to understand that that success and growth that is not sustainable and it will never be sustainable if you're not always pushing forward. Life in Christ, life in calling is always about what's next. How are you growing? How are you developing? How are you building the context in a way that will have relevant impact for the kingdom? So, so unless you have that sustainable, uh, uh, you know, systems thinking approach, actually it'll become a waste of time, energy, effort, and actually be poor stewardship of what God's entrusted to your life. That's why framework leadership, what it does when you begin to develop a system, a thinking system to help you accomplish call and context, it becomes a structure it becomes a rationale, it becomes a plan, it becomes a process, it becomes the path that gets you right on target with what God has designed you to do and what he's designed you to accomplish. And I'll tell you when you're on target, man, you talk about a peace that all is well. Even when you don't know what's going on, uh, because a lot of time as you navigate change in leadership, you have no idea because it's going so fast that you have to have a sense that, well, I, I know because I am thoroughly working through calling and context, we're on the right path, even though I may not understand what's going on. And by the way, framework leadership will help you as a leader to handle the day-by-day, -day the, the expectations that you don't realize are coming down your pathway. And you're able to respond because you have a system in place to make the right decision, the right direction that you can go forward. So that's why I love it. And I, I tell you, I've used framework leadership at every opportunity and context that I've had the privilege to serve, uh, whether it was in a professional uh, uh, career that I was in or whether it was in the local church where I had the privilege to serve as a, as a pastor or, or now at Southeastern University leading a, a great institution that has the privilege to come alongside a generation that God is raising up to help them discover and to develop their divine design so they can serve Christ, they can serve the church they can serve the world in, uh, in the way that God has designed them. I'm going to um, walk us through now kind of the framing process. How do you create a framework? And, and I'm privileged to have with me one of my uh, partners that we get to do life together, our executive vice president at Southeastern University, Chris Owen. Chris, I'm going to invite Chris to come up and join me today because one of the things, welcome him, yeah. And I trust uh, everybody got one of these here because we're gonna we're gonna walk. If you didn't receive one, raise your hand. We'll get you we'll get you one of these. We're gonna walk through the framing process. This is how we create frameworks to again be a good steward of what God has called us to, to be a good steward of the context that He's placed us in. And when we inherited uh, the leadership of the university, we had to begin to develop systems, framing systems that would allow us to create growth, but not only growth, healthy growth, not only healthy growth, but growth, healthy growth that would be sustainable. And that's the key. And I can tell you when we inherited the university and had the privilege to start leading and we began to build a team. And again, we do everything as a team. Every decision we make is based on our systems. It guides everything that we do, every decision that we make so that, and we do that together because that's a key part too. It's collaborative in the process. But when we inherited the leadership 
and and actually Chris was was there prior to when I came so you can give us a little context of that but but when we inherited the university the the former president Mark Rutland and many of you may know uh, Dr. Rutland incredible leader he he had been at Southeastern for 10 years when he inherited the leadership of that of that university they actually were bankrupt in fact they were told we're going to have to close down this university uh, bankrupt only about 6 700 students at the time and and they just couldn't move forward but God had a different idea called a great leader. Dr. Rutland went in and God gave a vision and a plan and they began to build and change. He created systems that would help guide that. And at the height of his leadership, the school, uh, I think, reached a little over 3,000 students in enrollment. Uh, then he left and went to ORU to serve as president. What happened in between his presidency and, and when I was elected, they went two years without a leader. You can't do that in any organization. You will lose momentum and you will begin to plateau. And two years without a leader. Yeah, you begin to decline. You will decline. Yeah, we called it the dark ages. We're just going to leave it at that. You let your imagination go in there. Two years without a leader, it was the dark ages. Yeah, and, and in that two-year period, they lost over 700 students and lost, I think, in revenue, well over about 12 to $15 million. So they were probably two, three enrollment cycles away from closing their doors again. And so we had to come in and begin to create a system that would help us lift that university from a declining state, create a new curve. If you're familiar with the sigmoid curve, you have to constantly begin creating those new curves to continue to grow. And the best time actually to start creating new curves is not when you are declining, but when you are actually being very successful and you are growing. And, And that's when most people feel like, that's not the, you know, we're, why should we change anything? Everything's great and good. But that's the time you want to begin to create a new inflection point to grow. And so we begin to do that. So the first stage, and, and you have on the first thing that is so important in the framing process to develop your framework for your context is to begin to listen. Listening is significant. Before you can begin to create vision, uh, to create direction, you have to understand who you are, you have to understand where you are, and you have to understand where you need to go. And that starts with listening. One of the great principles, in fact, it's a good to great principle, you can never know the potential of an organization until you know the potential of the people. And you have to take time and begin to listen. And usually the best time to listen is when people expect you to talk. Yes, absolutely. When people want to hear everything, uh, how are you going to do this? What's the, You were there when I came to interview. So the phrase that he just dropped on you about the potential of an organization, the potential of the people, I'm on the back row in the middle of the dark ages wondering why in the world am I still with this organization of 17 years with the local church, didn't leave because we weren't successful, just felt God called us to the university, find myself on the back row. He makes this, this statement and talks about, uh, he follows it up with this phrase, and I'm thinking, you're either a genius or you're the dumbest leader I've ever met in my <laughs> life. We're about to find out. He said, you know, a lot of people are asking me, what's your vision, Kent? What, what are you going to do? What's the next thing for Southeastern? And he literally goes, I don't have one. Now, I don't know about you, but no one ever taught me show up to your job interview and say you don't have vision. Come on, right? So I'm on the back row, and I'm shocked. He goes, how can I have a vision when I haven't even listened to you? And then the Mufasa moment happened. I'm in the back. I'm like, say it again. What he didn't know, I, I did my master's degree. My thesis was audiological leadership, learning to lead by ear, the power of listening. First time ever in my career in the church and outside the church, I had a leader standing in front of me that said the greatest value in his life was learning to lead by ear or listening to the organization. There, something takes place. couple little notes for you. People get bigger when they know they've been heard. Yes. Right? I've watched it in the local church and I've watched it in our organization. And just so you know, uh, you're maybe in here like, hey, this is a university. I'm in a church. Uh, 90% of our leadership team all come from and still are active members of the local church. It's what we live and breathe. We've all been pastors. And so everything we're talking about today, I've done in the local church. We continue to work with local churches so it works for you. So the power of listening. So just a quick snippet. Uh, how many of you know that repetition in the Bible means something? Gives priority. 
The word listening or to hear is mentioned over 1,400 times in Scripture. It is from Old Testament all the way through Jesus' teaching. Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, right, uh, was my doctoral, and I will not give you the thesis, but here's the, the Reader's Digest version, that how you respond or listen to God's Word will determine the fruitfulness of your life. Right. It's the only parable where Jesus says, if you don't get this idea down, you won't understand anything else I say. He refers back to Isaiah. He's talking about being a listener and understanding uh, this posture. So the idea of listening for, for us has three basic components to it, and it is the core of everything that Dr. Uh, Dr. Engler talks about and our, 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 our leadership team uh, leans into is uh, awareness, understanding, and response. So the biblical definition of leadership is not just passively receiving information, not just being aware of something, but it, and you're going to hear this more in the framework as he unpacks it, but it's understanding how it affects you. But did you know that the scripture says this, that if you've heard Jesus, but did not put into practice the things that he said, then you turned a deaf ear towards him. Listening's not passive, ladies and gentlemen. It's not taking a vote in the room. It's actively seeking the voice and activity of God in the organization that you're a part of. Yeah, and, and there's no way you can shape your role as leader until you listen. That's it. And you learn and discover. And, and in the listening process, I would encourage you to use, because this is we use the appreciative inquiry. I don't know if you've heard of that system process, but it's called appreciative inquiry. And the way that you listen comes from a positive. A lot of people want to, what's wrong with the organization? They want to approach it more in a negative. What's wrong? No, you want to, what's right with the organization? And if we have the chance to dream, you know, two years, three years, five years, if we could dream, what would it look like? And when you approach that listening, pro wow, you talk about things coming up and out and, and hearing, you know, these dreams, you can begin then to create, wow, this is where we need to go. This is what God is saying to us. This is, and so listening is an absolute uh, start to developing a framework in, in the way that you, you lead your call and context. The second aspect is auditing the context. You have to take time this is where uh, you, you embed yourself into learning, discovering, developing, understanding people, resources, challenges. Uh, you, you, you take a look at the inside public and outside public of the organization, the, the community, the, the environment that, that you're placed in. You begin to understand the limitations, the liabilities. You begin to understand the competition element that is out there as well what sets you and and i and i hear like in local church oh we're not in competition with the other no but there's something that sets you apart mm -hmm. what makes you different and unique and what is going to make you different and you it's going to be the people that are there and in the auditing context part this is where you understand that you know what this is not it's not all about the numbers and what the numbers say to the context as you audit it. This is where actually it's about real life people and the people that are there and their uniqueness and their gifts because that is what will make the difference and set your organization apart, set your church apart, set, this is what, we all have a, a similar vision in the, in the local church, what we're there to accomplish, but it's gonna be unique into who, because of who we are and the threat of, of giftedness that comes to that local church or that organization. And so we begin to audit the context and, and what are the issues and challenges and, and the people and the uniqueness that we can begin to develop a framework that will celebrate that and cause us to begin to grow in a pretty significant way. So taking listening, great leaders ask great questions. Auditing the context is looking beyond the numbers, right? And so this is where the people factor comes in. So uh, what got you here won't get you there. Great. How about this one? Uh, the team you started with is probably not going to be the team you end with, right? There are seasons that come through, and I've watched leaders who have made choices 
is not based on their contacts, but just simply on relationships and brought another leader who was successful somewhere else and didn't understand the context and didn't speak the language of the people. And it just, it set everything back. And so one of the examples of this, I referred to it as the dark ages. There was a lot of harm done and mistrust in our organization when Dr. Engel stepped in. And so what I love to do, and maybe he'll do it today, is when he goes around and introduces his team, I'll say, no, 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 don't give us their names. Give us our roles. And he will walk around his team and he'll go, oh, you're the strategist. Oh, no, you're the healer. So the chief academic officer, the person that, that Dr. Engel hired on our team, uh, he knew his stuff. He had earned doctor, all of those things. But he was known to be someone who brought people together and he had a healing presence about him. And I'm telling you right now, culture trumps vision every single time time. You can have a great vision and a great idea, but if you do not have a healthy culture that's moving people in the same direction for a cause greater than themselves, Lencioni says it, you can't have a team without trust. And so listening and watching him strategically put the, the players around the room, he understood, and we still do it to this day, we know where we are in the river of time. We're not the same school we were at 2,500, now at 7,000. It's a different world right now and if we're still making decisions based on that paradigm yeah. we've already started going backwards right. so it's so important for you not just to know the numbers but who are the people in the room what's the temperature of your organization what's the past what are the struggles what are those key I call them cultural just the cultural pieces those buzzwords that that incite great vision and passion from your from your people or also bring great fear and great trepidation. Does that make sense to you? Man, auditing the context about knowing your culture. Third, third element to framing is clarifying the goals. This is once you begin to discover, you learn, and you wanna begin to develop where you know this will take you tomorrow, you begin to then create a system of communication. One that becomes understandable. But here's, here's the key. Not only is it understandable in your community, but they can communicate it back to you. And then everybody begins to share same voice. It becomes um, unified in such a way because the communication has been clear. It has been concise. You clarify what are now the goals that will take us from today to where we need to go tomorrow. And you begin to understand the dynamics of that communication. So, I, and, and maybe you can talk about, because I tell you, Chris was very key in helping us in, in uh, communicating language. If, if he has one of the greatest gifts to be able to take concept and apply the right communication words to make that come alive. And so I, I lean on Chris, our team leans on Chris, especially in this area. Uh, and so we begin to develop community sub celebration uh, meetings where we could clarify the goal, com communicate it in such a way that it was concise and to the point. It allows you to zero in on what you need to accomplish as you move forward in your calling and context. And, and I'll tell you, for example, it wasn't long. Um, I was just out and, and uh, walking our, 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 our landscape. And, and if you've been to our campus, it's like a resort. It is beautiful there in central Florida. And uh, never ha I never had anything like that. When I went to uh, school, I'm thinking, wow, these students have a great place to come and study. And, and I was walking by, and there was a couple of people working in the landscaping area. And I had not met uh, one of them. And so I, I stopped to... Uh, introduce myself and 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 I said now what what exactly um, now do you do on the on the team and I'll never forget I'm expecting him you know just to, well I do this and I'm I, this is what I take care of on the ground you know what he said I'm here helping students discover their divine design so they can serve Christ they can serve the church 
that was what our mission's all about. Yeah. Here he is articulating mission, not specific role. So in other words, what happened? He started to capture the language, the communication. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And it doesn't matter what role you have in the organization, whether you're, you're the president or you're a faculty person uh, or, or you're working on the, on the facilities. Everybody is doing the same thing, moving the mission forward. And that happens when you clarify the goals in the framing process. So when the mission meets the mulch, you know you've succeeded, <laughs> right? You understand what I'm talking about? See when what it's, I'm telling when you? It's, He's, got it's down, He's got the gift. When it's down to that level, we call it cultural alignment, okay? Cultural alignment. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Nemo? Come on, raise your hands. Everything you need to know about life, love, and leadership, just put the movie in and watch it again, right? So you get to the end. He's found his dad. Nemo's there. The big shrimp boat comes and scoops everybody up in the net, right? And I don't know what's wrong with me, but I tear up every time this part comes. And his dad's going, you don't do it. Don't. But dad, I can. I can, right? And he goes, dad, trust me. He goes, lucky Finn. And he swims into the middle of the net in the place of danger, in the midst of the people, and he provides a common language. Just swim down. Tell everybody, just swim down. The power of culture is a unified language. You as a leader have the responsibility to lean into your organization and provide a lexicon that gives direction, it gives passion, it gives motivation. You have to be the chief person who your language is embodied in such a way that it's moving. So here's how I define leadership based on Nemo. Moving a group of people in the same direction for a cause greater than themselves. Moving a group of people in the same direction for a cause greater than themselves. If culture trumps vision, then you have to work towards cultural alignment. You gotta get your mission in the mulch. And when you do that, you simply repeat the process. You never ever stop casting vision. And so the second part of this, the power of this, he was our director of security and I had been there for probably a year under Dr. Ingo and he walks up to me with his big proud look on his face and he goes another VP asked me for the keys to the pool but Mr. Owen I didn't give them to him I told him he had to have your permission and I looked back at him and I said Larry what do we pay you for he goes sir I said if I've got to make a decision about who gets a key to get into the pool I'd just rather have your paycheck give me the keys I'll take your paycheck well, 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 well Mr. Owen he didn't hear me and so this is what clarifying the values and vision does for you you can ask anyone in our downline what do you get paid to do and they'll respond something along these lines I get paid to make decisions that's it. I get paid to make decisions. The clearer your values are, the easier it is to make decisions. As a leader, clarify your values. Provide a lexicon so that your people feel like Dr. Engel, if he was here, he wouldn't ask about this key. He'd give the person a key because he believes access. We treat people well. Student focus. You give them a language so that makes decisions easier. And, and, and you, uh, I hope you can see that, uh, that each process, uh, each piece to the framing process builds, builds, builds. So, so listening will build to auditing and auditing will build to clarification, you know, clarifying the goals. And then the final thing is then you're able to align everything. Everything's in alignment. And this is where um, you be able, you're able to celebrate what people are doing. The call becomes practical in the context. You're able to, it's almost like, and I go back to my days as a, as a sportscaster. I, I finished my career in Los Angeles, and I had the privilege to cover the Showtime Lakers. Now, many of you, you weren't even born when the Showtime Lakers probably were in action. This is when Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy all were, were on the same team and when they got out on the court on. let me tell you it was beautiful to watch them it was they were Good in boy. unity i mean you talk about aligning <laughs> what they did together as a team but what did they do beforehand 
I covered, I, I would go, when I'd go and interview them at practice sessions, you'd see them work hard. Every chance they were out on the court practicing, going through, they, they did every, and then each one of them had their unique role in the system. Yeah. And so, so that's what begins to happen. Once you have, have gone through the entire framing process, when the frame is now developed, the framework to lead you in your context, then everything aligns perfectly. And it's as though you've been together forever. God puts you together to accomplish this for such a time as this for what he wants to do in the midst of that calling and in that context. And we've had the privilege to celebrate so much alignment um, at, at Southeastern University, especially in this area. One, one of the things I want to point to Kent's style of leadership is somewhat painful and it's very messy. And this is what I'm talking about. At chiropractors, anybody here, you go to a chiropractor? right? The, the second before the alignment, it's probably not the most comfortable moment, right? There's some tension, there's some pressure, there's some pushing. Here's what I noticed about his style of leadership. And I don't just say this, that we're friends, and we're, but this is the reality. And it's something I'm, I'm putting in my own area. Being a leader takes courage, and alignment is not always a smooth process. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed about him is if he saw in a, in a VP or somebody else, they had a particular skill set that was outside their title area, he had no problem in front of the team going, hey, uh, you're going to keep doing all the other stuff you're doing, but however, I need you to run this initiative because you have this gifting. Alignment is not just, man, you've listened, you've audited the context, you've clarified your values, but it's also alignment is about putting the right people in the right seat of the bus at the right moment. They may not stay there forever, but having the the wherewithal as a leader to go, this leader has the skill set to launch this new ministry. I need them to lean into this because they're the best person for the job. Now, once it's up and running, I may have another uh, leader that's a better manager and they're going to come alongside and be a part of that process. So one of the words of encouragement for you as a leader is don't be afraid to move the people outside of their title area and into their spot. When you have alignment is when you have the best leader with the right gifts in the right moment. So, so I'll tell you, that's the process. And out of that process, when we in, inherited the, the, the leadership of the university, we created We went through the process and created six foundational frameworks that would guide every decision, everything we would do in leading this university forward. And as he mentioned, we've we've seen God just bless this university. His favor has been strong. And and we have seen by using these foundational frameworks, we have seen (coughs) growth. We have seen health and we are in in sustainability mode. Uh, You know, when we inherited a little over 2,400 students this last fall, we had about a little over 7,000. Looks like we're going to be pushing this fall over 8,000. We not only grew on the, the main campus, but we grew nationwide. We started um, a, a, a pretty extensive inten- uh, intentional um, kind of expansion program where we could take education to the streets, where we could take it to where people are. Rather than people coming to us, we want to take it to your context. We want to create accessibility to education. We want to create affordability to education. So we begin to expand. And we just started this program, what, four years ago? Zero campuses. We now have 84 campuses nationwide. Wide, and in our extension, have over four thousand uh, students. So, so, but we've have followed the frameworks that we created. On the flip side of of the card that we gave you, has our our six foundational uh, frameworks, and and I we'll just walk through them real quick. Um, how we implement them, just to give you an example, because you're going to create your own unique. Um, and, and and in all reality, many of these frameworks could work in your setting, but it's going to be unique to your context, to your people, to your environment, to your calling. But these these are examples, and then then we'll open up for Q and A because definitely want to from hear from you in any way that we can be encouragement. But the first one was the urgent. Immediately when we started listening, we knew what would be the urgent issues. Obviously, enrollment would be an extremely urgent issue. So we would need to begin to to create a system that would meet the urgent issue of enrollment. We knew governance would be an urgent issue. How you structure leading an organization will have all the difference in the world in the where where you're going to go and what you're going to accomplish. We had inherited a, a, a university that governance was not really, had not actually been touched for, I don't know, what, 25 years maybe? Yeah, probably more than that. So, so we from, from the board of trustees, in fact, I think within a year, we, we sat an entirely new 
board of trustees based on the governance changes that we knew God was leading us as a university to come alongside students that he's raising up. So, so that was an urgent issue. We knew systems development was an urgent issue. Thus, this, this important framework process that, you know, I think probably what happened a lot in that two year period between Dr. Rutland and myself <laughs> is they had grown so much, but without a leader, what happens systems, if they're not in place, will not allow growth and will cause a decline and plateau. So you have to grow your systems with your growth uh, or you cannot sustain it. So we knew systems, we knew culture had to be changed. We, we also knew the financial uh, elements, especially in the way we would scholarship students. So that first year, I think uh, the university was giving about a little over $5 million in scholarshiping and financial aid. We knew that was an area God wanted us to come alongside students. This year, I think we are pushing over $27 million wow. in financial um, assistance, in affordability yep. to students. Why? because we followed a system, urgent framework that would help us begin to navigate that so we could grow and be able to provide what we sense God was calling us to do. So, so, so the urgent, anything you want to say about that framework? No, I think the urgent, the urgent makes the decisions very clear. Does this create a new stream of enrollment? Does it increase revenue? Is it Christ-centered? Is it student-focused? So that it just puts everything in those four questions. So that way people weren't coming to us with new ideas and saying, hey, what do you think about this? They were actually coming in going, I have this idea. It's in alignment with everything that you've given us. What do you think about this? And we had empowered our people. We put them in the same direction. And all we heard from them was just swim down, just keep swimming. And so it's just very powerful when you have that together. All right. This, the second one real quick, and we'll get through this because I want to take time for questions. The second one is visionary. And there are three components to every vision. Three components that will make uh, a framework for your vision uh, just begin to grow and flourish. First of all, you have to have your transformational principles. It's identifying what needs to be changed and how are you going to change it. So, so figure out what are your transformational principles in that framework. You know, so, so for example, for us, first and foremost, we commitment to calling. We have to be, if we're going to, the way we're going to lead is commitment to calling. Everybody is called to this organization. Again, it doesn't matter your role, it, you have to understand God brought you here. You are a part of what he's about to do, what he wants to accomplish. You must understand as we lead change, understand who you are, your identity, consecration, consecrating everything we do. Every year we have a consecration uh, community time where we, we solidify what God wants to do this year, how he's going to lead us and guide us there. All these kinds of guiding principles. That's the first part. Second part, visionary values. Who do we want to become? Mm -hmm. What are the values? We want to be a, you know, we want to be a university that is Christ-centered. We want to be a university that is student-focused. We want to be a university of educational depth and breadth. These are the things that we want to become. So you need to guide that. A third component then would be the actual strategy. How are you going to accomplish this? We, you know what you want to do, how you want to lead it, what are the values? But then how are you going to do that? We do five year. We, we, we don't do any, you know, longer than five year strategy. Yeah. We just completed our first five year, accomplished about 90% yes. of the first five year strategy. And we're now into our, our uh, uh, second five year strategy. Yes. Yeah. We, we accomplished 75% of the five year strategy in three years. Uh, and then the final year, we literally leaned into that last. We wanted to get to the 90% mark. But it, everything becomes, you get that synergy when you have the cultural alignment. So the value values that we, he just talked about that drive the organization. We've had them since we began together in 2011. We just got back from the West Coast. We're following up, we're working with a company called Plain Joe Studios. You may be familiar with them. Their storytelling division is we brought them in to be strategic listeners of us. And they looked at all of our vision and all of the values we had put on paper. And then they did an audit and listened to us again and said back to us and said, hey, we think some of these that you had six years ago can be coupled into one one phrase, but there are three emerging values that are permeating your organization that are nowhere in your writing. 
And I, I was going, that's why you're here. Let's talk about that. The power of hospi uh, hospitality, uh, collaboration and calling, these three big areas they just brought. So just know everything has a shelf life, yes. right? So don't just put something, the worst thing you do is put a vision and values on the shelf and it's gonna stay there. You gotta pull it down, you gotta tinker with it, you gotta change it and, and great leaders live their lives in seasons. Yes. Seasons, right? Hey. The next season's gonna be one to three years. We're gonna revisit our vision and values at year two and really implement something in year three. Have that schedule for yourself where you can always, and, you're, and when you make change the norm, no one in your organization or your church is afraid of change anymore because it's a part of your, your, your culture. Yeah. Third one is, is cultural. And, and, and Chris, uh, chief architect of, of the whole cultural framework, when it focuses on how are we gonna empower people, how do we create collaboration how do we uh, uh, you know uh, bias to perform uh, decision makers all of those kinds of things to create environment yeah let me give you four components of, of building culture this actually was designed and developed in the local church there are four movements when I talk about building culture I've done it in the local church and in a larger organization number one language having a common and inspiring language that all of your people can use together. Language gives people a handle by which they grab a hold of your heart and your ideas. Two, stories. Stories evoke the emotional imagination. You say, what do you, what, what do you mean? A great story in your organization should lead the person listening to say this, I, I could do that. I, I want to do that. I want to be that person. Let me be in the story. If you're not if you're not intentionally uh, shaping and gathering stories in your church or your organization, you're missing a key, key, key component of growth. The future belongs to the storytellers. Common language, powerful stories, experiences. I can talk about something. I can move you with the story, but if I create an opportunity for you to step into the narrative, now there's a higher level of trust for me. You're now entering in. It wasn't just some gimmick I talked to you about, but when I talked about loving uh, a neighborhood or loving a city, we tell every one of our students, we're going to teach you how to love Lakeland. You learn how to love Lakeland, Florida, you'll know how to love every city God puts you in for the rest of your life. Then we tell stories about some of our students that have gone on and started nonprofits in the city. And then we say, hey, Saturday, come join us because we're not going to talk about it. We're going to do it. We're going to serve the city with these organizations. And the fourth movement of creating culture, language, story, experience. The fourth one, celebration. You only keep what you celebrate. That's right. Now, here's the deal. You're in this room more than likely because you're a type A, high D driven person. And one of the things, and, and, and I love this about him, I also know that I'm going to counterbalance it. We will be in the middle of enrollment numbers. And our enrollment VP will go, and this year, you ready? We're going to have 7,000. And we're all around the room high-fiving, chest bumping, going crazy. And about seven and a half seconds into it, you hear the voice at the end of the table. We are going to be uh, 10,000 by 2020, right? The, the hard-charging driver, he's, he'll celebrate with you, but we're always going to be pushing What's forward. Next? What's next? And what I've, what I've learned and what I've watched from him to do is he is his value for celebration has gone up because he understands he, he doesn't need that. He's already, I'm focused. What's next? Where are we going? But he saw it, what it did for our team, and he's leaning into celebration now, and it just anchors that change. So language, story, experience, and celebration. Four ways to build culture. Now, we do take time to celebrate. I mean, you know, we, we do. <laughs> I knew I was going to get in trouble. I knew I was going to get in trouble. No, but we are. The it's, old days. It's, it's the new curve. It's the new yes. curve constantly. Functional framework is another framework, and, and this is simply our decision-making framework. Every decision that comes to us, if it doesn't meet these four criteria, if it doesn't produce enrollment, if it doesn't pr produce revenue, yeah. if it's not accessible, and when I talk about accessible, I'm talking about inroads to education, much like assimilation in the local church. You create ways to get people in the door. How, how are we creating accessibility to, to provide education that meets the call of God in people's lives? Whether that's in ministry, business, uh, healthcare, whatever it is, we need to make sure that we are providing entryway for people to get in there. So if this decision doesn't include accessibility, we're not going to do it. And then will it be affordable? So if it does not meet those four criteria in our functional framework, 
we don't do it. We don't do it. That's it. We say no. It doesn't take long to make a decision. And when you look at every single decision we've made in the last few years together, you can tie it back to one of those four. That it always covered all of those issues um, in, in terms of, of what we needed to do to get us where God wanted us to go. And that's important. Then the next one is innovative framework. Um, and, and this pushes us in a specific way. First of all, new curve development. We do a new curve retreat every single year. And we're about to come up on our new curve retreat in May. We do it every May. And we get together as a leadership team. We, we celebrate. We give God thanks. We rejoice in what. But then we say, okay, God, we're coming together right now for such a time as what's next for us. And we actually kind of walk through the framing process. We start listening to each other. We start kind of auditing, you know, bring, bring us what, you know, we, we, we start kind of clarifying where we're at. And then we, we, get, we again begin to align so that we know what, what is the next curve. We're in, we want to be on the cusp of, of always being innovative in the way God wants us to be in that particular context. We're, also, we're pushing new ways to deliver education. And, and, and I mentioned our extension and online. And, and uh, we're, we're really developing certification programs, reaching out in, into our communities, providing workforce development. I mean, there's just so many ways that we're trying to create educational opportunities to help people in the call uh, and what God's doing in, in their lives. Uh, we're also pu pushing, uh, you know, curricular, non-curricular, I mean, all kinds of ways that we can. So our innovative is always going to be fresh and relevant to what we do. Any, any yeah, it's the what's it's the what's next mentality. Uh, and so for us, there's a phrase that's emerged from that. or it's, it Literally, this is so fresh that we just may have heard it once or twice with us. Uh, we're trying to make learning unavoidable. Right. We believe great leaders are lifelong learners, and so affordability and accessibility is removing all the roadblocks that would, would keep you from taking the next step in your education. And so that's what's driving that innovation phase, and it keeps you from resting on past wins. Uh, it keeps you leaning forward. And, and, and one of the ways that we've been innovative in, in providing that uh, access is partnering with the local churches and creating DNA-driven... DNA education. In other words, we don't at the home base create, you know, here's the curricular design and you must apply it that way to your context. No, we want to listen. What is God leading you in your local church? How can we help you raise those leaders in the way you believe God wants to raise them up? So let's develop educational curriculum based on what God's doing in your heart and in your vision. So that's how we design. That's the innovation in the way we do education that's unique and different. Final framework that helps us to guide all this is, is our breakthrough framework. And, and to me, this is, this is extremely important for both personal call and contextual call because there's three components to that breakthrough framework. There's, there's the, what I call personal discipline awareness which is all about self-leadership. Are you building a reflection system personally where you're always understanding what God's doing in your life right now? What are the gifts? Because I, I really believe God can change your gifts based on how he wants to use you in a certain season. And if you haven't built a way to reflect on how to make sure you know what are those gifts, build it. Find it. Become disciplined. You have to. You have to look at what are the experiences you go through. Well, you know, think about. You know, what are the good? Do this even on a daily basis. What experiences did I go to? What were difficult? What were great? What were wonderful? What were you trying to say to me through those experiences, God? How can I apply that? But if you don't build a self-reflection piece, you're not going to know. Who are the people God's putting in my pathway? Think about. You know, what what are they saying to me? What can I learn from them? How, what can I discover? Think about. You know, all of those. What are your passions? Because they change. Build that self-management. Yes. You know, you need to be disciplined holistically, physically, mentally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. About 20, 20, 20, a little over 20 years ago, I had a wake up call from a physical standpoint. I go in to, um, to have a checkup and, and the doctor sets me down and, and I had gained quite a bit of weight. Um, and, it, and it just has a way of creeping up on you and, and I not realizing. Um, and, and he said, your blood test ha has, you have type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. 
and you're on on a fast track to to massive heart attack or stroke and can't you have got to get a hold of this and you've got to become disciplined and i tell you what he said can i think that you've caught it early enough that if you will begin to change your lifestyle mm-hmm. diet yes you change your your workout you know the way you work out you probably will not have to to rely on insulin mm-hmm. and so thank god i was able to begin to change my lifestyle from that day to this day and i can tell you my last blood test 2 months ago it's as though i don't have diabetes because i've been able to manage manage what god gave me to be holistically healthy so so the same thing in your life you have to that's that personal uh, visionary well uh, awareness in your life how are you designing that second piece to to break through is what i call discernment awareness if anything god's been teaching me lately it's can you need to make sure that you have positioned your life that you can discern what's going on and and i'll never forget the moment he really awakened in that to me um this past year i I was reading the the story the passage where jesus is with his disciples and you'll remember the conversation and and jesus always whenever he's with with disciples and and he wants to teach them what does he start he wants to create a listening opportunity doesn't he he wants to listen so how does he do that he starts asking questions and then he listens and so what did jesus he said to his disciples in this particular passage he said what do they say about me what are they saying? And so they all start, oh, I, you know, you're, you're uh, Elijah, you're Jer- Jeremiah, you know, the, you're this prophet, you're, you're John the Baptist, come back to life, and, and, you know, you're all of this. Okay. And then he wanted to go a little deeper. And he goes, okay, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and there was only one that jumped up and, anybody know who that was? Yeah. And what does he say? I know exactly who you are. You're the son of God. You're, you know, you're the Messiah. And, and, and yeah, and, and begins to declare that. I love the message translation in this conversation. It says, Jesus said, Simon, you didn't get this from great books. You didn't even get this from great teachers. And those are good things. He said, my father in heaven, let you in on the secret. That's how the message for let you in on the secret. And then he says, and because you basically position yourself to discern, Jesus says, and now I'm going to tell you who you are. And he said, you're going to be Peter the rock. And he begins to lay out his calling and his context. Why? Because he positioned himself to discern. We've got to grow in discernment. We've got to grow in discernment. When God is leading you, don't fail to act. Be courageous. Even when you may not know, step out in faith. God confirms. You look at Paul on the missionary journeys, Acts chapter 16. What does it do? It says he stepped out and the spirit said what? No. He stepped out again and the spirit said no. He stepped out again and the spirit said yes. He wasn't afraid to act and be courageous in stepping out. And then God would confirm. God would lead. God would give him discernment. You go, wow, I'm getting, I'm, I want to preach now. You, you, you have got to discern what God wants to do in this framing process. That's what will lead you to breakthrough, breakthrough. And then the final com- component is all about um, delegation awareness. You got to be a systems thinker. Go back to the Israelites. Anybody know who Jethro is? Yeah. Jethro was a systems thinker. And he said, Moses, this system of judging the people is wearing you out. It is not going to work. And we've got to change the system so that you can do this right. And it gives life and it gives refreshment. And so they begin to delegate, delegate to the right people, to the right situation, to the circumstance, to make it work. So those are the frameworks. Any, any add to that? No, no. I would just say looking at the time, just being a good steward. Uh, yes. When, when were we to land the plane on this session? Like what right now, right? Pretty soon here? Five, five minutes, six minutes? Okay. 
All right, let's open it up for questions. Yep. What was the process that you mentioned? I think it was push inquiry, where you look at the good and not the bad. Appreciative, appreciative inquiry. Appreciative inquiry. Appreciating. Yeah, appreciative inquiry. Uh, appreciating what's there and how you can dream about where it can take you. Mm -hmm. And and when you approach that that for some reason that begins to unlock people's imaginations when you do that. Instead of saying let's let's figure out what's wrong. Why aren't we growing? You know, let's talk about why we can grow and what what would be the things that fuel that. So yeah. so yeah. So does that that vision and dreaming push out those problems, get rid of those problems on their own? So here's the thought process about it cuz we're experiencing this with a company we're working with right now on retaining retaining our students. They don't focus on why students are leading. They'll they'll give a nod to it. So the same thing for you when you're talking about the back door and people coming and not sticking. You can spend all of your time looking at why are they leaving? Why are they leaving? What they're saying is the 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 mindset is now why are people staying? and then develop that. You have to know your weaknesses, but don't ever expect a weakness to become your greatest strength. Just make sure it's an average so it's no longer a liability. Strengthen up those weak areas, but lean into what you're good at that you can become great at. That's good stewardship of your time as a leader. Absolutely. If you're not a natural celebrator, how do you do that without feeling inauthentic? Like I feel like my team can see right through me when I'm like, Oh, sure. Well, it, 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 no, it can, and not that I see that now. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's real. That's genuine what you're saying. Um, no, I, what helps you to be genuine is when you capture real relational yeah. okay. uh, in the relationship what you celebrate in that relate that's what creates now when you recognize we begin to recognize what's going on in other people's lives and you naturally bring that to the forefront it's not it's not where you have to manufacture that or it's it's just what you naturally observe and then yeah. you celebrate that yeah so when you appreciate the other people on your team we couldn't be more different uh, I'm, I'm a good southern boy I grew up with a gun in my hand living in the woods uh, West Coast guy. So we're we're getting together. He's like, you do what now? And, and you do that for fun? I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. But because I know he understands me and we've done life together, he knows and it's not inauthentic. He'll lean in and goes, hey, I saw you did that. Great job on that. And, and he took the time to ask us, each individual VP, hey, how do you celebrate? What's what, what expresses value in your world? And I told him, I, I will be very transparent. I looked at him. I said, I don't ever need you to mention me from a platform. But when we're in your office, you look me in the eye and go, I saw what you did and you smashed it. I just told him, I said, you'll fill my tank for another six months. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, you just say, man, great job on that. And yep. he'll start crying. Yeah. Because it's just, no, that's his I, gift. I'll, I'll I'm telling you, when you know the people and how, what their language is, and that way you celebrate in their language, not yours. It's yeah, about them and not you. You know, the languages of love languages. You know, you learn that and you begin to, to celebrate that. Yep. It becomes natural. Oh, yes. Well, I first must say thanks. I, you know, when you're a certain type of thinker, you don't have actually a definition to your type. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a natural systems thinker. So I'm sitting here trying to keep from crying yeah. because I feel like I found something yeah. that defines who I am. Anyway, um, but on top of that, I just need to know the the name of the book that's the lead, leading by ear of sorts. It hasn't been written yet. Yeah, it's, it's he'll probably write that, that. I will probably write that in collaboration. I'm telling you, though, if you're feeling that way about this conversation, I don't make any money. The framework leadership, I'm just telling you right now, it will awaken in you. It'll give you permission to be more yourself than ever before. Well, if, if I'll just talk to you, you guys later. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I thank you. Yeah, I you're welcome. It. Wow. Yeah. Vibrant Church, Columbus, Mississippi, we're accredited. Oh, yes. 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 Thank you. Uh, Come on. We just broke ground on a $11 million expansion. Our walls went up one week ago today. Wow. Awesome. And we are in the place we ran about 3,800 releases services, and I was just brought on board. I've worked there for five years and done ministry for 14 years, but just brought on board in November. And um, some elation coordinators, my time. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I know him. I said, what is that? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to close the back door. But yeah. <laughs> prayer ministry and I'm over the mm -hmm. next steps and I'm over baptism, I'm over VIP. Welcome to ministry. <laughs> <laughs> so we're trying to put all these safety nets in place, but my biggest concern is trying to grow our team. Because right now we've actually because we've grown from 10 staff members to 27 staff members in a year. Oh, and actually in about nine months' time. So we're trying to get used to one another. And I'm a very systems thinker. I have a business to yes. That's what I do. Yes. But trying to get my team to systems thing 
into a whole other thing and then trying to get my team to buy that vision because now we're going to be moving into 1500 right, right. seating. So what is your best advice to you push, you pull, you cast, you encourage, um, you train, and you let other people train other people? And you know, I think my biggest fear is that we're not we're going to be there, but not there in numbers, you know, not enough numbers. And I know everybody's like, don't think about numbers. And you're paid to think about numbers. Yeah, like I'm thinking 40 people on prayer team, and they'll cut it in six months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, first of all, I think, and, and one of the best parts of, of the framing, auditing the contest, because that context, that speaks to that. Mm -hmm. And so what you're doing, and, and as we begin to develop team, mm -hmm. um, putting the right people in the right place, you 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 understand who you have. So, so really take the time to make sure you know who's there and who's a part of their team and their uniqueness, their gifts, their abilities, their passions, and then begin to build on that. Then discover who you don't have there on the issues and the challenge. So when we, when we started to think about systems development, we wanted to make sure we had a systems thinker who understood how to lead us and guide us. When, when we, we, we knew we'd have to change total culture environment, we wanted someone who understands culture uh, to begin to guide. So, so I would begin that way, if you're not already, which yeah. you probably are doing some of those things, but. Yeah, the pressure you're a, feeling is leading from the middle because you're not at the top. Yeah. So let me give you a little bit of this love and advice right here, okay? You're a huge piece of the puzzle that has to do. That's right. So, so here, here's, here's, here's what, I, here's what I'm saying to you is one, uh, I, I, I had to earn my voice. So I'm sure you're doing this. Smash whatever you put your hands on, and and when you're succeeding, it gives you a greater voice. Be clear and consistent and kind in your communication. Right. So you are responsible to let people know, hey, we're gonna need this, we're gonna need this, we're gonna need this. But we call it open hand. God didn't put you at the front. Your foot's not on the gas pedal. You're somewhere in the middle. Your responsible is to be the best version of you to your up leader. So be honest, be kind, be compassionate. But at some point, you, you'll come to, okay, I've made my point. I'm not going to let my, I've seen people get bitter and nobody listens to me and it becomes personal. That's not, that's not who we are. And so just be consistent, be clear, be kind, but just let them know. One more, one more question real quick and then we'll, we'll. We're out. I do have a question, which is kind of like a jump off of what you just said, but um, I love listening to my team, and I love just encouraging them to speak their opinions and let them know that the door is always open for that. My question is, is how do you honor them and letting them feel like they've been heard, mm -hmm. even though you're not going to go in that direction? You're still going to bring the vision of the pastor to whatever we're doing, but how do you honor them? I don't want them to feel like they were they weren't listening yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me dive in on this yep. one. You can, you can wrap it up. Here's the thing. We call ourselves, we're a full contact team. So in our leadership team meetings, you, you're not just expected, you're required to bring whatever concerns you have to the table and you will be heard. Uh, and then we will make a decision as a team. And you can say what you want to say. We, we fight fiercely over ideas, never about personalities, right? Fiercely about ideas, never over personalities. But when we walk out of that room, we're one voice, we're one team, and we do not talk anything negatively about a decision. That will be handled very quickly on our team if you are walking out of a meeting and you're going, well, I didn't agree with that in the first place. You spoke up, you've been heard, but real leadership is full contact and you're not gonna get your way. And that really, so if you wanna test someone's spirit, add a little restraint. <laughs> if they can't handle that, then there's a seed of rebellion there and maybe they're not supposed to be on the team. Hey man, it's great privilege to be with all of you. Appreciate you all. Blessings on what you do and your calling. God bless.